0: Forever!
1: Dog! Hey folks, it's me, Ben Blacker, the creator and host of The Writer's Panel. Thanks for listening. It's 2023. Things are weird. It definitely feels like a storm is coming. Folks are out pitching. Folks are making shows. I'm glad. There's some life in this business. Um but it feels weird out there. People, especially new writers, um, folks who have just broken in, and people like me, um, sort of the, the middle class of writers, are very uncertain, feels bad. I don't know, I don't have a lot to say about it. I talk about it on these next few episodes of the podcast uh, with my guests who have great perspective. Um, they're all good writers and good people, and I think you'll enjoy these upcoming episodes. Um, I'm writing. I feel like that's that's the thing to do. Um, you know, at this point, we have a backlog of material, but we're really proud of all of it um, and would love to find a home for it. But we'll see. We'll see what things look like in the next few months. Um, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. I'm making a lot of pizza. I got a walk for Christmas. I've been really enjoying that. Not for pizza, for making other food. (laughs) Um, Those have been giving me great creative satisfaction, um, even as I hammer away at some scripts that I really want to write. I've also really enjoyed writing this weekly newsletter. I I hope you'll check it out. Uh, If you don't already, um, you can find it at benblacker.substack.com. Um, and it's been really fun. I love the little community that's popping up around this newsletter and hearing from the same uh, folks who are breaking into the business or who are in the business. Um, in the comments and in my emails and stuff, it's, it's really cool. Um, and, and I've loved sort of like working stuff out in this newsletter. Um, in, in January, I wrote all about process um and what what the process is like some real nuts and bolts stuff um what the process is for some established writers i've talked to over the years and then what my process is um the most fun thing has been the monthly q and a sessions with professional writers and it's been just a terrific like people are coming out for this it's so much fun um we just had one with uh the u creator and showrunner Sarah Gamble who was also my boss at Supernatural um but we had uh Jane Espenson uh Akela Cooper who who wrote Megan and has been on the Star Trek shows and she's writing a ton of really fun cool horror movies um gosh they've just been they've been so uh, enlightening and and like getting to you know we've had like 10 to 15 subscribers show up to each of these. Um, they're for only for paid subscribers of the, the newsletter. Uh, we've had like 10 or 15 folks show up and, and everyone's gotten to ask their questions and, and talk to these pro writers and get advice and, and sort of connect. So I highly recommend it. Um, I hope you will subscribe to benblacker.substack.com and become a paid subscriber and join these Q&As. Uh, you both get the, the access to these Zoom meetings, but you also get the recordings later if you can't make it, and they're well worth listening to. I'm not going to put any of them out as a podcast for at least a year, Um, and so the only way to hear those and the only way to participate is to become a paid subscriber, benblacker.substack.com. I think it's worth it. (laughs) I am maybe biased, um, but I think it's worth it, and I'm enjoying doing it, and honestly, I'm learning a lot about my own process and the things I'm concerned about in the industry, even as I write these weekly newsletters. Uh, Hopefully you'll get something out of them too. Come by and sample. If you like what you see, become a paid subscriber. Um, It's all really helpful, especially in these uncertain times. Thank you as always for listening. Please enjoy uh, these next few months of shows. I think they're some of the best. Some great folks with some really good advice. Um, I really enjoyed talking to all these people. They write, they talk, and talk about what they write. Tune in
2: tonight, or whenever the time is right. It's the writers' panel with Ben Blacker, and it's starting now. Oh
1: yeah! This is how a podcast starts. Thank you all so much for being here for returning to this podcast. What I'm going to do is ask you all to introduce yourselves on the microphones in turn. Uh, Tell us some who you are and where the listener may have seen your name on their television or movie screen uh, before. And uh, Liz, our returning pal, please start us off.
3: Thank you, Ben. Um, my name is Liz Tigelar. You may have seen my name on Little Fires Everywhere, which I adapted Celeste Ng's book, um, thanks to Scott's wife, Lauren Neustetter. Um, You may have seen my name on other, you know, more forgettable things, um, Mom. too. <laughs> but, um, my first show is a show called Life Unexpected on the CW a long, long time ago. And, um, there's been a lot of stuff in between.
1: And your new show.
3: Oh, and my new show. Yes. Um, is Tiny Beautiful Things, uh, adapted from Cheryl Strayed's book of the same name. And that will be on Hulu April 7th. Terrific. Also, thanks to Scott's wife, Lauren. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Scott, is your wife there? Can we just bring her in? What is what is happening?
2: <laughs> Every Zoom, somehow she just uh, becomes the focal point of all the
1: Zooms. <laughs> um, Scott, please introduce yourself and uh, tell us where we've seen your name before.
2: Uh, my name is Scott Neustadter. Um, I have written a few movies with my partner, Michael Weber, in the past uh, that you might have seen. Um, 500 Days of Summer is one of them, uh, the Spectacular Now. Earth stars, um, the disaster artist, uh, and my new show um, is a television program um, that I, I created called um, Daisy Jones and the Six, based on Taylor Jenkins Reid's uh, novel. Uh,
0: also produced by Lauren Newstead. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs>
3: <laughs> don't feel left out, John. I know.
0: It's <laughs> if <laughs> I do. <laughs> um,
1: also, I, I want to mention uh, Scott Roseline, which uh, was your your film, which. I loved.
2: Oh, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> on, on, uh, and, on Hulu.
1: Yes, which I've recommended on this podcast in the past uh, month or so. Um, John and
0: Baum. Um, John and Baum. That's uh, uh, that is me. Um, the uh, uh, you know, probably I'm most associated with the comedy party down from that was on Stars, uh, two seasons like 12 years ago and. Amazingly, now a third season that's just about to drop tomorrow, um, and then before that, I had worked on uh, *I Zombie*. Uh, I did a season of a show *Benched* uh, for USA a while back, and then the first show I worked on was uh, *Veronica Mars*, and had essentially that was my first television mm-hmm. job, and kind of had been kind of a bumbling feature screenwriter
1: before then um well let's let's get into party down uh which is i think as of this release is back on the air um
2: so excited Amazing.
1: why now what's happening what uh, how, how, <laughs> how did this come to be uh i'm sure you've told the story a lot of times already uh so i will i'll take the short version if you want <laughs>
0: um well, it's i mean it there is no kind of why now because it was a perpetual why not now for us ever since, Yeah, you know, going back to the end of the second season. You know, just the way we were basically the victims not of kind of failing to do kind of what we all agreed we wanted to do with the kind of gang at stars that we set up with. We actually had a great experience with them. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it was a classic regime change. New president, new people came in. I mean, <laughs> sadly, at our little premiere party uh, for the, when we are not even a premiere party, we just like, it was kind of a little wrap party at the end of the second season. All our little executives showed up and everyone had just gotten fired. Oh, um, so it was a very bittersweet uh, little wrap party we had Um but yeah, we, we had always wanted to do more. We had been planning on doing a third season. We assumed we were going to get one just because the second season went very well. Everyone was happy with what was going on. We were very dialed in. We felt like to kind of making the show of this scale and this style and everything. Um, so just, you know, when we met, when we finally met the new guy and we realized what his plans were, we were like, oh dear. Um, and that was, I mean, we, we were correct. We were kind of out, you know, out with the old and in with the new. So, but we'd been trying ever since to kind of either entice them with new ways to kind of approach it, you know, like, what about now? Maybe you guys want to try some comedy again. What about us? And that sort of thing. So we we came at them in various, you know, from various directions you know, here and there on and on over the years. And then we actually had a very karmic stroke of good fortune in that there was another regime change. Um, And, you know, the new, the new head of the network was quoted in an interview saying that he, you know, he missed party down, he kind of regretted that it went away. And so, you know, our other uh, producer, Rob Thomas, just called him and was just like, you know, we're still here at your service if you feel like it. And, you know, fortunately we had a very good relationship with all the cast and everything and we had all, you know, we'd kind of reunited here and there and we run into each other and we keep in touch and everything. So when this kind of bubbled up, we just were able to kind of say like, hey, (laughs) like, would you guys do this if this actually finally materializes? And so it kind of fell together once, you know, that ball got rolling. Let's. I want. It's so
1: interesting, and I want to sort of ask this broadly. We'll we'll zero in on everyone's um, current projects in a minute. But like, is this is this the state of the industry right now? Like, are we at? You know, we've always been at the whims of these regime changes and things like that, making the decisions. But is is the notion that like consecutive seasons aren't even on the table anymore? And like, if the opportunity arises either at the same network or at a different network because of a new president or because of a new mandate. Like that's, that's what, you know, three seasons looks like now it's over 10 years or 12 years in your case, John. Um, Yeah. I don't, I
0: mean, to be honest, I, I feel like it is a very weird time in that regard, you know, Certainly when I started out, when there was kind of, you know, the majority of the television work was kind of within the network system. There was a season, everyone was running around in a frenzy in the spring. And, you know, there was kind of a, you know, whatever, kind of there was an actual calendar to it and a schedule. And even if you were going up or down or frustrated or, you know, whatever, you at least understood kind of how the system worked. Whereas I do think to me, it certainly feels much more kind of, random and kind of chaotic now. Um, and, you know, I think we certainly in this case, I think this, the fact that, you know, the cast that we had back then who at the time were just kind of the folks that we could call on the phone or call in favors with, cause we had either worked with them in the past or friends had, or something like that, you know, cause we kind of got that group of people together very randomly and kind of independently. Um, And then it just so happened that they all went on to, you know, have these great careers and everything. So just having this cast who now had a certain marquee quality or whatever that we could uh, avail ourselves of, you know, certainly helped, you know, keep the idea of that show alive. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the same was true of just the fact that, you know, with streaming now, it never really went away. You know, once Mm -hmm. upon, you know, back in the old days, we would have had two tiny seasons maybe a dvd <laughs> that's in a bin somewhere and then you're just gone so the fact that you know we actually found a life for the show after the show was over basically um you know that was certainly very specific to the time that it happened
1: yeah that's true i mean i i wonder like the development process seems like it's part of this too right like it feels like we sell shows now and development takes two years at least and then <laughs> by that time there's a new regime or a new mandate or whatever i mean scott i feel like daisy jones and the six it, correct me if i'm wrong but i feel like you had your room over two years ago is that wrong
2: the room was over more than two years ago probably. yeah yeah that's wow. true. well that that was obviously very um you know covid related right there were a lot of stops and starts um along the way that the development process was really seamless um and mm-hmm. i'm totally unqualified to talk about kind of state of the industry of television and anything else it's my first real kind of foray into it um and also it was always pitched as a limited series so I, i'd I love don't... nothing more than for them to call and go we want more of these and then i you know we could talk about it but like this was always designed to have a beginning middle and an end um but yeah the the um the last couple of years have been super strange uh, and um, and definitely the, when the writers room ended, we had all of our scripts and then the world changed and we needed to do things with them that we didn't expect. So um, it definitely was uh, a great education. <laughs>
1: what what was development like prior to getting the room together?
2: To sell it. Um, um, my wife again is a is a ninja. If you haven't been uh, listening to our introductions, <laughs> um, and she was very much like, um, we have a book, but I want you to write the first episode, and I want a little bit of a series sales pitch document that we could sell it with, um, and so we put that together, um, and she sent it to Amazon on a Friday and said, um, you know, we'd had a lunch a little while ago with. with um, amazon uh, when i say we it was hello sunshine yeah. and um she sort of hinted that there would be something coming their way because based on the conversation it sounded like it would be right up their alley so she sent it to them on a friday and said we expect to hear from you monday morning um with a yes or a no before we take it out to the rest of the industry um and we got the call on monday saying we're in and we'll you know mm. what do you want and that was pretty cool. <laughs> so is is that how it goes all the time? I think <laughs> for the most not. part, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I uh, it was <laughs> I think definitely with, Lauren, a dream. It does. with Lauren it, it a,
3: does.
2: <laughs> it was a pretty cool, pretty cool thing to watch. Um and then uh, we hired a, a, a showrunner, Will Graham, and um and then we put a room together and kind of got to work, which was that was more of the like normal process, I guess.
1: Um so so it wasn't um it was, it, yeah, it seemed like it was not a terribly unusual process other than getting a fast yes, um, but but Liz, uh, tell Scott what it's really like. <laughs> <laughs> Do I want to hear this? Do I well, want to live in dreamland?
3: Listen, since I started working with Lauren, it all goes much smoother, <laughs> I will say. Wow. But yeah, I mean, it is, back to kind of your original question, like, it is crazy how the landscape has changed. And I mean, I don't want to get too much in the, like, writer's strike territory, but, like, there, you know, it, it it amazes me, kind of, um, not necessarily in a good way, how it feels right now to be in development. And I even feel like it's rare to get to shoot a pilot before you write all the episodes. It's, it feels like it's either doesn't happen or it's straight to series. You don't get the benefit that i think like what johns referring to in like our old school days like <laughs> you write a pilot you go shoot it you see how the actors you know manifested these characters you see what worked you see what doesn't did, what didn't and then you start to create your series from there i think i think there's a huge element that gets lost in not being able to ha- to watch a pilot before you begin the series um yeah.
0: It's interesting yeah. when uh, you know, because I, you know, I, I mentioned that I kind of worked in features for a while and had, you know, I had enough success that I earned a living and I was very excited about that. That I, you know, got my, you know, I joined the union. I made a, I paid my rent and I did all that as a writer or whatever. And I sold some specs and I got various rewriting jobs. But it was also kind of absurd in the sense that I was making a solid living nothing ever got made, I was, you know, I would be like the seventh writer on some project that they'd been grinding on for like eight years or something like that. Um, And uh, it was kind of a surreal existence in that regard. And I actually kind of ended up realizing like, you know, something kind of needed to change when, you know, a, a spec I had sold was like kind of a, it was a civil war train robbery, kind of a you know, a yarn, kind of a rollicking yarn type of a big action movie or whatever. Um, And that had put me in this category. So I was going up for a lot of that kind of, those kind of jobs or whatever. And then there was this moment where every version of those that I was going up for was basically, a you know, a comic book property, which I never read in my whole life. And I realized, like, I've got to rethink what I'm doing. Um, And so switching into television was a huge you know, revelation in the sense that they have to make things. You know, there was this sense that like if you were on a show, scripts are due. You've got to, you know, production is feverish for their material and all this sort of stuff. So it was an entire different way of living. And it, you know, it certainly taught me an enormous amount. Um, but it was also there was there was that regularity to it. You know, whether you were up or down, you know, the machine kept going. And so you either knew you were in or you're out, you were making the show or you weren't or any of any things of that nature. That was kind of a very, you know, it had its own ups and downs, but it was definitely a very different lifestyle than what I was doing in features. Um, and I re- just like last year was having this discussion with my agent who's was there when I switched. Um, and he was just like, well, how does it feel to be back in the movie industry? Because um, that's kind of what it feels like it's shifting back towards where everything is development, development, development. And they're, you know, especially with like cable and streaming stuff, it seems there is no, you know, There's no feverish, you know, wood chipper that you need to throw stuff into to keep the machine going. Um, So it's a very it, it, it has a different feel and vibe to kind of, you know, how it was to me when I was starting out
3: there's so much more ambiguity. Like, it's just like, okay, we're in a writer's room, but is it a writer's room? It's a mini room. What's a mini room? What the fuck is a mini room? Why do these (laughs) exist? Another topic for another day, but like, okay, so what, so we're like kind of in a room and we might end up working on the show and the show might go, or we might write all the scripts and then the whole thing will be thrown out. Like, it's just, it's so, there's not a lot to like, you know, plant your feet into where you're like, okay, this is a job. This is like a real job that's going to continue that I know is going to shoot. You know, it's, it's just, it is, it's like, it probably is very analogous to what features might feel like. I think now, you know, (laughs) I think now there are probably TV writers, myself included, that are like, oh, features, like you get hired, (laughs) you're going to write something, you're never going to go to set and you're just going to hand it in and be like, (laughs)
2: <laughs> it I'm was like, pretty strange when you, when, uh, by the time we got around to making the show, all of the writers had moved on to other things and weren't available to be on set to, to sort of see their episodes, to pitch new things. And, and that was a strange kind of thing. That did feel a little bit more like the feature world where it's like, see you at the premiere guys.
3: Yeah. yeah. And they've worked on like eight things since then. Mm-hmm. And you're kind of now you're on set essentially doing it, you know, by yourself, maybe with one other person it 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 has changed so dramatically, and I think there've been gr- there've been great aspects to the change to the changes, but there's also been real downsides, and I think again, like real financial downsides too.
1: Yeah, let me ask you, um, with these the uncertainty at every step you know there, like you said there used to be a process we went through to pitch a show sell a show get a show picked up and then actually get on the air. um with the uncertainty now that we could write all these scripts and the show still won't go um liz i'll throw this to you first but then i open it to everyone like emotionally how do you mm-hmm. in the room deal with that how do you feel like anything matters
3: well that's the thing i think that I think the system is banking on the fact that writers will care no matter what. So you take away stability, you take away financial incentive, you take away, you take away other people. And I think the expectation is that we are going to care enough about our work that we are going to fill that space and we are going to try to do as much as we possibly can. we're going to be the ones to care you know you're not gonna you're not gonna hand in a script that you don't think is good because you ran out of time you're going to use every single second of every single day to make it better and i think that's what people are banking on i don't think that's a good thing um but i think it's it's the system kind of banking on that we have enough pride in what we do that we will find a way to do it even with no support Mm -hmm. you know you got to
2: show them that what's real. That's that's crazy. Here, <laughs>
3: yeah. Care less. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's what's the option? It's, it's also that you are banking on the fact that just people need opportunity. So you're like, okay, yeah. we're not going to give you any guarantees. We're not going to necessarily pick up the show. We're only going to guarantee you 10 weeks of work. We're going to pay you scale. Everybody's equal, you know, all these things. Um, but what they're going to bank on is that writers will say like, but I want to be on that show, and I want a job, and if this is the only way I can work, then I guess I'm gonna to have to take it. But anyway, this is all again. This all gets into like, what will, what will, <laughs> so what,
2: bleak. What, Everything yeah, is like, so what, gosh.
3: Yeah, it's, well, it, you know, but 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 it's it's. Um, I mean, the hopeful part, I guess, is that we all have these stories to tell. We all have this passion. Party Down's a great example. Like you know, twelve years later, ten years later, however much time it's been, like. Like John is coming back with the same passion and knowledge and wisdom and stories and cast to have done it all again, you know? And I think, I think um, there's like a a hopefulness and a (laughs) a resilience (laughs) to, we want to write, we want to tell stories. That's what we do. And and we're going to do it in all circumstances. Not all circumstances are fair. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, I I want to circle back to this, and I'm sure like it's this. These are conversations we can't get away from anyway, because this is what we all deal with on the day to day. But I want to ask uh, Scott, having been in features for so long, um, have you seen that industry change in the past couple of years in the way that TV has? Is it harder or easier than when you started?
2: Um, I don't know that it's been. Well, the, the thing that I would say is that I am um, terrified that the, the, the movies that I like to write and see are going away. Yeah. Um, that there's going to be nothing but very big budget movies, maybe some horror stuff, um, and then occasionally, um, you know, maybe a streamer will make a tiny movie, um, but that'll be the extent of our opportunities to see features in in movie theaters um and that's a bummer uh and it's definitely a concern um i you know every time someone says this is the end and it's over something comes along to prove that it's not the case so i am hopeful that um it'll circle back to th- there'll be some passion and a desire to see these kinds of you know middle budget movies mm-hmm. um but i think uh, it remains to be seen if um if there's an audience for it that will still go to the theaters to see them
1: Yeah. I mean, right. That's, that's the big question, right. Is theater theatrical releases and all that. Which I I
2: will, I can't, I, when I write, I want to go to the movies and I want to watch these things with other people. And I want to have that experience. I I grew up, you know, going to the movies three times a week and um, I, I probably have gone twice in a year um, and it's horrible. And I wish it wasn't the case. And um, you know, I, I don't want it to go away. I really don't. I think it's I feel bad that my my kids haven't been able to experience that same kind of thing that uh that I love so much.
1: That's interesting. Um and then the other thing I kind of wanted to cover is um this idea of original series, you know, like John, it feels like you got in at a good time with party down where you guys could and we talked about this years and years ago and I would urge people to go check out that episode of the podcast, but, like, you basically made your own little pilot and and showed the people what this could be. Mm -hmm. Um, That feels like a good way to get an original idea across. In the past few years before you know, you started on this new season of Party Down, what had been your um, experience in, like, pitching new projects?
0: Um... I mean, pretty standard fare in the sense that, you know, we definitely pitched things, we sold some things, we, you know, went through the pilot you know, we went through all the, you know, usual development, this and that's, and, you know, and usually the result was, you know, a a polite pass or, you know, things of that nature. So, you know, I had, you know, worked on other shows and things like that. And it's also, you know, you know party down is kind of a you know it's it's a it's a bit of a mixed blessing i mean not not super mixed cuz it you know absolutely is a miraculous thing that has happened and it's been very good for me um but uh you know the one thing nobody has ever asked even af- when they say that they love the show or anything is would you like to do something like that for us? Because mm-hmm. I think it's just like, it, it definitely was its own weird little thing that just happened. You know, we we kind of lucked into that spot. Um, and, you know, it's it's a thing that I have, you know, said to my people or whatever, been like, you know, who's the new stars circa 2009? Let, what can we pitch to them? Um, because I really loved living in that, like little corner where you can just kind of, you know, I I I'm not a big budget person. I I like things to be just kind of a scruffy little thing or whatever. Um, and it's a great way to work because usually there's nobody looking over your shoulder. You're not in, you know, these epic battles with you know somebody else's vision or anything like that. So I was like immediately, I was like, let's do that again. But they're like, there there is none. It. It's all gone you know everything's a brand now. Yeah. and you know, that's sadly just what the landscape looks like. Um So you know, it, it 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 certainly made a difference in kind of, you know, my my career in that, you know, it's easier to sort of talk to people about things or whatever. But it definitely hasn't, you know, changed just the basic reality that you know most of the stuff that you go in with, especially if you are trying to do some weird little thing or whatever you know, you're always going kind of against the odds.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think something you all have in common is, you know, there are no superheroes. Like you're, you're all Uh doing these sort of small personal stories um, often about young people or, you know, like just no explosions, right? They're, they're (laughs) non-genre stories. And I wonder Uh about like, how do we get to make these? How do we get to continue <laughs> making these? Is there a place for these? I mean, Liz, uh, we I, the last time we talked was around Little Fires Everywhere. And so you've now done two sort of best-selling book adaptations, right? But before that, we look at Life Unexpected and we talked during Casual, which was the smallest show, but yeah. it was such a good show. Yeah. Um, like, how do you, you know, how do you find a way forward? How do you keep telling the kinds of stories you want to tell?
3: Yeah, it's so interesting. I mean, I think to what Scott was saying about how features have evolved, it's been interesting in my, you know, I mean, I don't want to say it's like been 20 years um, of of doing this, you know, thankfully and luckily. And it used to be like, you know, you could write an hour drama that was just, you know, um, people talking about Compli- the complications of being people you know and having to interact with each other and do things and and then I feel like it changed to okay they can they can they can say I love you but it needs to be like on a bridge that's like exploding while you know a murder is coming after them and an asteroid's hitting and you're just like okay it's like bigger and bigger and then you start to say like well where are the stories where people can just be like I love you I hate you I I'm overwhelmed I you know whatever it is and then it starts to move to like that half hour drama, I mean, that was really how I found my way to casual was like, where do I fit where it's just kind of quirky people trying to navigate just like the normal world. Um, and I think it, it, it keeps evolving. I mean, I hope people, you know, I think stories can certainly be framed in different ways. Um, uh, some things hit down the middle with more of a mass appeal you know, I think Little Fires had that mass appeal. I mean, because of Celeste Book, because of Reese Witherspoon and Carrie Washington. Um, but I also think it had a surprising subversiveness to it. Um, so you know, it's like how do you how do you do it? How do you kind of have that mainstream appeal, but how are you kind of doing something maybe a little less straight down the middle, a little more subversive, a little... Um, uh, left of center, however you want to kind of think about it. So th- that's what I try to think about. And I, I mean, personally, I love doing adaptations. I, these are authors I idolize and admire. I mean, Celeste was, I felt so connected to that book. The minute Lauren Neustadter said, I have 48 hours to read it. Um, <laughs> and, um, I just felt like, I felt like I'd been waiting a decade since Life Unexpected for it. And then Cheryl Mm. Strayed is like another person just off the charts. I mean, I've been reading Cheryl, um, you know, since Wild, but also her work before Wild and, you know, approaching that show it's like okay well now how do i honor what this is this is a left of center show this isn't necessarily straight down the middle but like little fires it's grappling with what it means to be a mother what it means to be a daughter what it means to exist in this world what it means to exist in a world without the person who you want to exist most with like these are all um just real human life questions and so you know, of course, there's a question of like, how do you frame it to bring as many people to it as right. possible? Um, but I mean, you want to keep telling those stories.
1: Yeah. Did you have to frame it to sell it to the studio or network?
3: Yeah, we certainly had a pitch, um, and you know, it. You know the the pitch had a lot of humor to it. I think um, you know, would you call it a comedy? I wouldn't. Um, I I don't know how people necessarily kind of heard it in their minds, but um, dramedy, I don't know. I think it's a show about really sad things with a whole lot of hope, you know, I mean, and that's life. And that's what we just lived for three years. I mean, really sad things with everything we hold dear, practically taken away um, with a whole lot of hope. That
1: we could get to the other side, and so yeah, I don't know. It makes sense. Um, well, I look forward to the show. I mean, listen, I think mm-hmm. when when people hire you, also they they you have a point of view. You have you know a certain tone in the shows that you that you run and write. And I think it can go into drama a little more. It can go a little into comedy a little more, but either way, like we, we know what we're getting from one of your shows.
3: Yeah, no, I hope. And I mean, to what, to what John was saying too, you know, whether you call it kind of scruffiness or scrappiness, um, you know, I think what's so, what was so fun to me about doing tiny beautiful things in particular and is like any time you are expanding yourself out from, you know, whatever kind of, mold box you fit in last time you know it's like how are we how how do we have the freedom to push the edges of our work to not be so linear to take more chances to to allow us to trust that the audience is smart enough to keep up um and maybe even ahead of us in some ways and I think it's so it it is exciting when you carve out like a little nook and cranny where you can be more experimental and and do those things and and like John you start to have to look harder for those like little corners you know <laughs> yeah <laughs>
1: I want to ask about that, that um, pushing at the edges of your work, because I think that's really interesting. And it's, it's surely something that we all do as we get older and more experienced as writers. Um, and Scott, I wanted to throw this to you and ask about Daisy Jones specifically. Like, how is this? How is this very much your show, like a show that could come from you, but also how is it different to what you've done before?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. I think, I mean, like Liz said, I um, I really do love uh, adaptations as well um, because when I when I read something, um, I get to be a fan uh, and just fall in love with something the way I would if it wasn't, if I had nothing to do with it. Um, and then I read this book and kind of flipped forward to such a degree that it was kind of like, I can't let anyone else do it, I have to do it. Um, and uh, what's cool about it is that is that it's an oral history so there are it's it's people reflecting on their lives and telling us the story of like how they felt when something happened without kind of going into too much detail about what actually happened. And it would be up to us, um, all the writers to actually write the scenes of the moments that they're talking about, which really don't don't in- exist in full in a book like they usually do. Um And so that was a really fun kind of um, experience because there's so much opportunity for invention without kind of deviating too much from. The sandbox yeah and, and uh and we just had a great time with that and, and it was one of those situations where um all of my experiences in features and you know I, I would have such an easier time getting this through probably as a two-hour movie but i thought that would short change everything about the project to such a degree because <laughs> when i read it i just wanted to live in this place and be around these people and spend as much time with them as possible. And it was definitely longer than 90 minutes. So, um, you know, I think initially I was like, let's do a 13 hour version of this. And they're like, I don't know what that is, but um, really just uh, having the opportunity to kind of go as far down the road as as possible with something um, that uh, hopefully the book readers will really still appreciate and love and recognize. and then build upon it uh, a lot of new stuff that I think maybe um, they won't see coming.
1: Yeah. Did you have to make a case? I mean, granted, like your, your pitch to pick up was pretty quick, but did you have to make a case for this existing as a TV show?
2: I had to make a case initially to Taylor who wrote the novel. Um, Taylor, Taylor was thinking about it as a movie or there were some discussions about, you know, let's make this a feature film. Um, so a Star is Born, I think, was in production and, you know, the, you know, music stuff, maybe mm. that would work and we could sell it as a movie. And I kind of said the same thing that I, that I just said to you guys, which was like, I don't want to do that. <laughs> the two-hour version of this is just cliff notes. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, here's all the things that happened in this band and it's the rise and fall and whatever. And the book is so much more nuanced than that. The characters are just so much richer. Um, I, I've never done this before, but I would love the opportunity to spend as much time as possible uh, with all these people. I want them to be my friends I mean, that's the thing I love about television is that by the end of it, um, you just really feel like, you know, everybody so well and you're in that world. And um, yeah, that was just something that I, I, I happily convinced her um, that that was the right approach.
1: Yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, and John, similarly, this this idea of, you know, pushing at the edges of what you've done before. Was there a different approach to this new season of Party Down than previous
0: seasons? I mean, honestly, not really, because we, you know, we were mo- we really thought about it as just like, oh, we just get to do a third season. It just happens to be 12 years later because <laughs> um, we did, not you know, I think, you know, in, in the back of our minds, our worst nightmare is that we just take this thing that, you know, we I think we're all proud of and happy with and have very fond memories of Um that we just fuck it up and then all of a sudden like all our goodwill evaporates and people are mad at us and we're mad at ourselves. Um, So, you know, we wanted to not do that, certainly. So we didn't go into it with any notion other than we wanted to basically just, you know, pick up as if the show had been going this whole time. Um, And it was 12 years later, everyone's 12 years older, their lives had been flowing along, you know, while the camera was turned off. And then we just see where they're at. Um, And so that the show is the same, but it's just the people and the circumstances have evolved. Mm -hmm. Um, But that was also just very much a deliberate decision on our part so anything that was new or different was just that we have new people in there you know the themes have shifted around a bit and everything but we still want it want it to feel like the same show very much so we weren't trying to kind of reinvent it or you know get weird or anything of that nature so it it certainly you know it feels a little different just because you know of everything just described there's more people in there so it's there's just more going on it isn't a you know quite as you know outy or whatever as the you know earlier version just because you're kind of having to check in what everyone's up to and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff and doing six episodes almost demanded kind of a bit more of a serialized you know arc to it or whatever that was you know a new experience for us but I think, you know, our overriding thing was we wanted to be, you know, true to the spirit of what we originally set out to do and not kind of just tip over the apple cart just the hell of it. Or Absolutely. Like that. I, I because we, asked. you know, again we were we our anxiety was, you know, certainly in the background all the time. Well, that that's something I want to
1: ask about because I do get asked by a lot of new writers um about trusting your decisions. And how do you know when you've made the right decision uh, for your story, for your characters. And so like John revisiting these characters, picking them up in their lives, 12 years later, while you didn't necessarily want to make big swings, you still had to make choices. Mm -hmm. And and so tell me about like feeling confident in those choices uh, about their current directions
0: that would play over these six episodes. Um, well, it's interesting cause we didn't, I mean, we certainly talked about it, but I don't think, you know, cause we originally developed the show kind of a group of us because we all kind of shared kind of comic sensibilities and we were into some of the same stuff and we were kind of, um, but this being Rob Thomas, um, our other producer, Dan Etheridge and Paul Rudd. Um, and so we originally kind of came up with the, idea for the show, just kicking around the things that we were interested in and our desire to try and do something that wasn't what was at the time kind of what we thought was the standard for, you know, comedy, which was more of, you know, multicam kind mm-hmm. of, you know, setup payoff, you know, that kind of style of comedy writing or whatever. Um, so we spent a lot of time, like literally years, kind of. Thinking about it, evolving this idea, talking about these characters, doing all this stuff to kind of get to the point where we actually went out to start pitching it around and doing all this sort of stuff. So we had lived with it for a long time Mm -hmm. Um, and then, you know, wrote two seasons of it, um, which, you know, by finally being able to kind of get the actors involved. This is the first time that I'd ever worked. You know, we we didn't have it was a weird show because we didn't have a writer's room. There was no budget for a writer's room and there was only a budget for, you know, the reason I ended up running it was because there was basically no producer fees or anything on the show. So the only way to make a living on the show was the script fees. Um, And so, you know, Rob actually got another show. Um, at the same time. So they're like, you know what, this, you go do that. We'll go do this. So for me, it meant I also was deeply immersed in this for, you know, two years straight or whatever. So that part never, you know, everybody and the actors, you know, they absolutely evolved these characters as we went along and everything. So everybody knew, you know, there was never, you know a stutter step getting back up and running or whatever it was it was actually pretty easy to get back into writing the show hmm. um and you know i think the only the only thing that was tough in that regard was again just like the logistics of squishing new people in there figuring out how to you know do this or that or whatever but i don't think you know in terms of going back to something you know we never stopped thinking about it so that was you know, that that was the easy part. And, you know, it, it, even going back to what we were talking about before, it was one of the great luxuries of the show was that we had, you know, you, you learn so much by making the show, seeing it up on its feet, seeing people say the words and all that mm-hmm. sort of stuff. Um, and there's really no substitute for that, for, for me, certainly. Um, and so that, you know, made a huge difference in like just kind of how, like reflexively, you could actually just sit down and write the show or, you know, if you, you know, break a, you know, when you realize a scene works where you're just like, oh yeah, these guys in that, that's forget it, that's done, Um, you know, things like that. So, you know, that is one of the reasons why I feel like, you know, whenever they'll give us a chance, we'll happily run back and do some more just because all those muscles are still there. Mm Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and so, yeah, so that's one of the things that I, you know, I do feel like it's much harder in this new landscape. You know, when you talked about the idea of like, you don't make a pilot and then decide if you're doing the show anymore, um, but you learn so much about what the show is in making the pilot. Um, you know, that's definitely something that, you know, I miss personally. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask uh, similarly, Liz and Scott, as you're working on adaptations, you know, TV is a different animal from a book. Uh, And so you have to make choices. And so tell me about trusting those choices, especially in the pilot phase when you're not necessarily working with a room.
3: Yeah. I mean, I think you, you know, you obviously have producers in place um, to, you know, gut check you. But I think that. I think that it really comes down to like your connection with the material and having to do a really brave thing which is trusting your gut. You know, I can think of an example on Little Fires I really wanted to change the ending because I didn't want to change the emotion around the ending or the thematic meaning of the ending which is that um this character Izzy burns the house like in the book this character Izzy the youngest daughter burns the house down. And I felt like you kind of knew it at the beginning. And so it works in a book, but for a TV show, especially coming off, say like A Big Little Lies, um, not that I was on that, but that being in the zeitgeist, yeah. I just felt like I didn't want to be repetitive to like, oh, the person who seems like it should be it, it, it rightfully is. Um, and so, it, so it, I wanted to change the ending. Uh-huh. Um, And that's a big thing to do in a successful book. And and even pitching the ending to the writers on the first day, I could tell they were all like, uh, that sounds crazy. And I'm like, I know this sounds crazy, but like, I think we could do it. And so then we spent like a week being like, but what if it wasn't that idea? What if it was like this person or this person or this person or that? We literally went around a circle, everybody that it could be. And finally, I was like, you know, you do you get insecure and voices get into your head and it gets hard to trust your gut because you're like maybe I'm insane (laughs) but you start to just like you have to trust it and so I would say let's move in this direction and if it becomes like untenable unbearable if it just seems like it can never work we have the luxury of being able to deviate you know we're writers we write something different but like, let's just try to move in this direction and see how it feels. Mm -hmm. And so we did. And as we tried to move, we found our way to it. And so when I see the ending, I'm like, yeah, she did burn down the house, but she lit a, you know, She had the thought, somebody else did it. But at the end of the day, it's Reese Witherspoon who burnt down that house in a way. And oh, that was the bad, that was actually the first bad idea I had. I was like, what if Reese burned the house down? And they were like, adult people don't do don't they don't like (laughs) burn down houses metaphorically, you know? And it was like, okay, no, 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 you're right. But like, what if you traced it back to it is her fault? And even though she didn't pour the gas, even though she didn't light the match, what if when you step back, you're like, you didn't do it, but you did it, you know? (laughs) Um, And how does that feel? And so it kind of, it kind of was that like into the woods take of like, no, it's your fault. It's your fault. It's (laughs) your fault. Well, it's kind of all our faults. This is systemic. Um, So anyway, I I think you do get to this place where at the end of the day, I mean, and I don't know, you know, Scott, if you had this experience, John, if you had, I I remember on my very first show um, running it, being up at the board on life unexpected and, Josh Reams is a writer that I've worked with for years. He's kindly hired me from being a baby writer when I was, you know, didn't know the rules and drove everybody crazy and um, really mentored me and guided me. And I remember calling him after like the first couple of weeks in the writer's room. And I was like, I don't know. I'm like standing up at the board and they're all just like staring at me. And they're just like waiting <laughs> for like, uh, what do I have to do? Like think of it all myself. You know, I was just mm. have this panic. And he goes, yeah you got to think of it all yourself. And if (laughs) anybody helps you, that's a bonus, but you do not look out to that room of people and think that they're going to all solve it for you. Like you invited them here. You're hosting this party. Like you're providing the food and drinks. You're making sure people get home safely. Like this is on you. And I'm like, oh yeah, this is on me. So you have (laughs) to, you have to kind of dig deep and start to be like, well, if this is on me, if I if I at the end of the day only have myself because it's my responsibility because I did this, um, then I gotta learn to trust my gut and I have to go with it. And so it becomes scary because once you do that, you put it out in the world and you're like, oh no, are people gonna like my gut? <laughs> you're like, what if people don't like my gut? <laughs> you know, but you have to. What else can you trust? You know, you're yeah. never gonna be happy doing something not having trusted your own instincts. So you become the barometer. And I think it. I think it takes a lot of bravery to, to be that person. And I think, you know, when anybody tries it and does it, like, you know, people can be so quick to rip things apart, but I think it, I think it is worth celebrating. I think it's brave.
0: Yeah. I was- no, it's interesting. Oh, cause okay. Go ahead. ahead. Scott. <laughs>
2: I was just going to say, I was so green at this, that I thought that a writer's room is like 12 angry men. Like you have to have consensus before you move on to the
3: next thing. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah.
2: And so like, there's all these people in the room and and like two or three of them aren't, you know, aren't convinced that that's the right thing. So for me, I was like, no, no, let's all right, let's keep talking. Let's, we got to fix this. We got to all agree. And eventually Will Graham uh, who, would, who would show run uh, Mozart in the jungle. Um, he pulls me aside and he goes, you know, is not how this is going to work we'll never get anywhere we're never going to get consensus with all these people uh if you have a majority it's that it's a bonus but at the end of the day it's whatever we want to do we have to you know it's it's going to be these are we have to be the decision makers or this is going to be chaos so that was very helpful to learn
0: it's true um no it was very i mean it was very uh illustrative that you know coming off a party down where I had all the, all this, you know, confidence in what we were doing um, because we'd lived in it for so long and we knew, we knew it left, right and sideways and everything. Um, And uh, the next thing I did after that was, you know, I kind of bumbled straight into like a, a network show that, you know, went straight to pilot and then magically went on the air to, you know, I was very surprised that this happened, but all that happened in a totally different style in the sense that I went in, into it without that confidence, without that sense of like, I know this inside and out and nobody can tell me what it is and I can tell everyone what it is. Um And I just got murdered like I like between, you know, what you guys are just describing with the writers room and but also in, you know, facing off with all the various, you know, executives who might have a different idea of what they think the show should be and all that sort of stuff. You know, there's a lot of, you know, not just trusting your gut, like you say, but also being willing to fight for it Um, or just say, no, this is what it is, Um, as opposed to kind of trying to sort of negotiate your way. To something where everyone's happy. <laughs> yeah. um, because, you know, I don't think that leads to a good place in any circumstances, just because, you know, you do have to be like, this is, you know, you have to f- figure out like, you know, this is what it, it needs to be. And we're going to make that work. And, you know, we can all sort of pitch in and make this work, you know, following this idea, or, you know, it can all kind of get nibbled into bits from all different directions <laughs> and go nowhere um and you know i've certainly experienced both so i i prefer the former <laughs>
3: i mean it's interesting because i mean like even my experience at the beginning of tiny beautiful things i was so obviously like and still am so enamored with cheryl i mean she's one of my favorite you know cheryl talks about carrying around a a suitcase with all her favorite writers in it. And I'm like, if I was carrying around a suitcase, it would be Cheryl Strayed. Like it would be either her books or just Cheryl Strayed in my suitcase. (laughs) And um, I had this feeling of like, you know, it was so important to Reese and Laura Dern and Cheryl. And and I came on and I I felt this feeling of like, well, tell me what you want. Like, I just want to make you happy. You know, tell me what you want me to do. And it took a, a little while to start internalizing it for myself you know you can't defensively write you can really only be on the offense and so until you internalize it and connect to it like you don't have a gut instinct when you're just trying to kind of please and when you're so like well you tell me I just want to make you happy it's like you have to really connect in this like deeper way to start to feel uh, like for me I have to like start to feel it inside my body um, and then I can start to own it. And then I can start to have not only perspective, but like an opinion. Um, but it can be, you know, it doesn't always, it's probably like a child. Like sometimes you love them as soon as they come out. And sometimes you're like, I don't know, it took a couple of days or maybe a couple of weeks. Like, I don't know. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> no, maybe that's a weird analogy. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: Liz, we could tell us even as you were talking about changing the ending of Little Fires Everywhere that like, that was a choice that got you excited. You know, like, and it still got you excited even to talk about it in retrospect. And and yeah. Scott, this same thing in talking about Daisy Jones, like you didn't want anyone else to write this because you knew how to do it. You knew the choices that needed to be made in this. And I think there's something to that, like making the choices that excite you. Right. Yeah. And you never um, know all of
2: them. I think you know yeah, most of them. Yeah. You know some of them. Uh, I think uh, c- going in with complete confidence feels uh, like it's a tall order. But um, <laughs> but it was it's great to definitely have a little bit of a barometer to be like, that doesn't feel right. I'm the OG super fan of this. And I feel like if we're now over here, um, you're, we're just too far removed from the thing that I love. And let's get back to that. I mean, I, I always sort of felt like um, the book provided that for me.
1: Yeah, that makes yeah. sense.
3: I do think that like, that's such a good, you know, when you're adapting something, you can, there's this core to go back to. Mm -hmm. And I think that is like, that is such a great way to have a gut check. You're not in it alone with your gut. You have this, these tent poles and you have these guideposts and you have your own fandom and what made you fall in love with it and what made you connect to it. And, and, you know, it is this thing that's bigger than yourself in a great way.
1: Yeah. Um, Absolutely. We are going to leave it there. Uh, We're going to wrap up as we always do by asking what you are watching on television. But first, let's get the plugs. John, um, Party Down is back. Uh, Tell us the premiere
0: date and and where to find it. Uh, The premiere date is uh it, it is what is today uh it's tomorrow <laughs> no knows. um it's tomorrow february 24th on right. stars so uh in the future right that's when we're speaking to people yes. so have watched it um <laughs> is what i will suggest <laughs> uh, and i think we'll we will i think this
1: will be out there will still be it's a weekly release right so we'll still get yes so it'll
0: it'll right. there's six episodes so we've got six weeks um great to uh, yeah, dig around cool. in.
1: and and you know, I speak for everyone when I when I say I'm excited to see these characters on screen again. <laughs> oh, thank you. No we long. were
0: super excited ourselves. <laughs> we so,
1: yeah, so we're we're thrilled that it's out there. Good. Uh, and Scott Daisy Jones and the six, uh, what's the premiere date and where do I find it?
2: Daisy Jones and the six premieres on Amazon Prime, uh, three episodes on March the third. Uh, and then another three the following week, and then two more after that, and then two more in the the end. So we're trying to um, <laughs> keep you guys talking in the month of March.
1: That is a ridiculous release schedule, and yeah. I look forward to watching. it. It's a
2: very, it's like the, it's a musical. There's, you'll see why it is. It's uh, okay. everything is very, very musical, and it's they're like movements. And uh, I, I hope that uh, I hope people will will enjoy this the awkward cadence
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, i listen everyone i know is really excited for the show i'm really excited for the show um not having read the book but everyone who read the book is so excited to see what you all did with it uh and i'm sure it's going to be great um liz tiny beautiful things when do we watch it where do we watch it
3: um you can watch tiny beautiful things april 7th on hulu they're eight half hour episodes they all drop at once so you can just like settle in for a couple hours and and uh and enjoy
1: yeah it's a nice weekend for everyone <laughs> nice weekend yeah go for it uh, terrific I've All seen right. some of it and it's great oh good
3: oh, and i get to watch daisy jones tonight i'm so excited i'm seeing two episodes tonight <laughs> i loved the trailer i cannot wait
1: <laughs> the trailer is great uh if it, if, if the agree, show is yeah. thank you. Yeah, it's gonna be so good. <laughs> the trailer um, is
3: insane. It's insane.
1: Let me ask you what you all are watching TV. What's getting you excited or inspired these days? What are you talking about with your friends, your loved
0: ones? Uh, and John, let's start with you. Um, I mean, in in the world of what I'm talking about with my friends and loved ones, um, mostly my wife in these circumstances, um, uh crunk on earth, I'm very into and I'm kind of just I don't know what it is, but it just, it's <laughs> it's funny and mesmerizing and that, uh, uh, I'm forgetting the actress's name, but she's yeah. fantastic. Um, and I think I just, you know, I love that just kind of, you know, I'm very interested in kind of nonsense disguised as con- sense. <laughs> and so it really <laughs> scratches an itch for me. And then the thing that I don't, you know, I don't talk to anybody about is- <laughs> like my weird comfort rewatching of the DVD extras on the Lord of the Rings extended <laughs> editions um, just because I don't know. I think I always fantasized about, you know, the filmmaking process and they just are drive me crazy.
1: <laughs> That's great. And I will say what I, what I didn't say to you all before we started, which is usually part of my, pre-recording ramble is the listeners of this podcast are the kinds of people who watch DVD extras. Uh, And so like, this is what we want, right? Like we want to see that behind the scenes. How did it get made?
0: 10 foot puppet going by or whatever, (laughs) you know, I just, I can't get enough. So yeah, that's, that's like my secret, like comfort viewing or whatever. I love it. Um, Scott, what are you watching these days?
2: Uh, Have you guys watched um, the thing that I cannot stop talking about and telling everybody about? is the Ethan Hawke documentary about Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward that is on, I think HBO max now. Uh, It's called the last movie stars. It is the greatest, like mini, I guess it's a documentary series. It's a couple episodes. Um, I've watched it like three times now because I just keep (laughs) learning new things. And it's, it's like this amazing depiction of this family and this marriage. And obviously Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward are like the coolest. Um, But then there's this whole other aspect of it where Ethan Hawke kind of, Goes into the psychology of acting and actors, and at one point, uh, Vincent D'Onofrio like shows you into the zoom lens what method acting looks like, and mm-hmm. it like blew my mind how good that guy was. And <laughs> um, but it is it is such a special thing, and I'm probably going to watch it again as soon as we're done.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's great. That that's I we started it, and this is what's going to make me finish it. That was great. It's so awesome, <laughs> uh, Liz. What are you watching?
3: Okay, my things that I'm watching are linked by Mike White fandom and love. Obviously, White Lotus. Everybody's watching White Lotus. But with my seven and a half year old son and wife, we have started at the beginning of 2000 Survivor. We've basically gone back <laughs> to season one. I bought Paramount Plus just for this. And we are slowly making our way. We will get to the Mike White season. We're not there yet. But when It'll take we you do, years. We'll feel very satisfying. We are nine seasons in. Um, and it's been awesome. It's been such an amazing lesson in, it's been shocking what was even allowed 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Looking at like 20 years ago, it's just been this like, experiment. And there've been so many things to talk to him about where we're like, Whoa, okay. No, like that will not fly. Um, no one can be walking around naked rubbing up on people like none of that or, or, you know, they'll, it's just, it's been fascinating. You know, why is Jeff Probst shaming the woman? And it's like, well, there you go. Good question. <laughs> he didn't do anything wrong, you know, whatever it is, but it's just, it's been really, really fun to watch. So you know, I don't know. I've watched every episode of Survivor and now I'm watching every episode twice. I don't I know. <laughs> um, so I good.
2: will it I looks. will
1: recommend to uh, you and your family, uh, check out the interview I did with Jeff Probst. Uh, <gasps> I want to uh, say 10 years ago, something like that. Oh my
2: God. It is oh my, my
1: favorite episode oh wow. of this podcast. I was oh, so I'm excited to talk to him. We have do that. My 10 year old. Well.
2: My ten year old saw Jeff Propes. We were we were on vacation Thanksgiving, and he saw Jeff Propes at a table, and he lost his mind. and And he was like, "What do I do?" And I was like, "You know, if he, if you're a fan, you just you know, you can go over and just sort of say, hi." So so he took he what walked his sister over. And he was introduced himself to Jeff, and Jeff was could not have been nicer. And they come back, and all the while I'm looking over, and I'm realizing that Jeff Probst is sitting next to Dave Grohl. And oh my like, god! Oh and my I god! I was like, Michael, one day you're gonna appreciate that you went over to Jeff Probst, and you didn't see the guy he was with, and you didn't recognize the guy that he was with, because that would be an even cooler story. That's amazing. <laughs> he has god. no idea who Dave Grohl is, but one day he will.
3: That's amazing. We're getting for for our son's eighth birthday, we're going to get him a cameo from, we're going to like go into the deep, like, Like, he He was the nicest
2: dude ever. He was so (laughs) nice to (laughs) them.
0: Mm. Oh man. Well, on the, I just want to throw this out because I've never watched any reality television at all. Um, And just in, uh, when you brought up the idea of things that we're actually talking about, Mm -hmm. I don't think there's actually anything that I talked about more, I think because of the fact that, I don't watch any reality television and I really had to grapple with Paul T Goodman yeah. um which I thought was incredible but also just like like I never stopped trying to figure out what I was actually watching and thinking while I watched it yeah. which feels like um, that was a of it, the show Oh, yeah. No. And it was amazing in that regard, because I do get very nervous around reality television type stuff in terms of who's doing what to whom and who's controlling the narrative and all this sort of stuff. And the fact that they just made a insane meal of that in this um, was crazy no it was yeah. it was amazing we, that was definitely something not only that we devoured but also we never stopped talking about yeah absolutely fascinating
1: uh we'll try it and we'll get jason in here to talk about it at some point uh because i'm dying to hear about how that show was put together um oh, all yeah. right thank you all so much for being here um congrats on the new projects we're so excited to see them it's good to see you all again and catch up again uh the tribe has spoken
0: thank
3: you <laughs> yes thanks Ben. oh my god Forever.